situation. He took a bitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Travis Bond Pro The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my win. We don't have any too, too many moments here on the past ball show where we get to kind of celebrate what really is a great accomplishment. And it has nothing to do with anything that the past ball show has done. You know how many episodes we've had um, for those loyal listeners we have. Uh, I can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and giving, giving the show the life that it has. But um, a couple really important elements of the show is the push that the past ball show does for certain players to get in their respective Hall of Fames. And you've seen it's, you know, maybe, and it's maybe not because of the past ball show, but the past ball show speaking up and mentioning uh, the accomplishments of certain players and why they are Hall of Fame worthy um, end up being part of the Hall of Fame nominations and selections of certain players and coaches. In baseball, it's been Lee Smith, Alan Trammell, you heard me speak for years about. Alan Trammell was Barry Larkin. You can't have Barry Larkin in the Hall of Fame and not Alan Trammell. They were the same freaking player. You know, Jim Cott, who recently got in a couple years ago. Marvin Miller. Um, I couldn't have been any more of an advocate for wanting to see uh, one of baseball's biggest pioneers in changing the landscape of the rights of players in Major League Baseball. And, you know, another, another person that I've been a very big advocate of that just got elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame is none other than Don Coriel. And for those that don't know who Don Coriel is, he was most notably the head football coach of the San Diego Chargers from, what, 1978 to 1986. Prior to that, he was the head football coach of the St. Louis Cardinals from 1973 to 1977. But before that was a solid college football coach and won over 100 games as a college football coach and over 100 games as an NFL head coach. Now, in regards to his accomplishments, now once again, if you live in this vacuum where you're trying to judge a coach over how many Super Bowls they won, well, Don Coriel is going to fail in this regard. But if you look around my room, you'll see I got an Air Coriel picture that has, has been up there for a couple of years. Um, I've, for a long time, acknowledged the significance of Don Coriel. And you know who else did? John Madden. You heard John Madden. Um, up until the day he died, waxed poetically about how huge of an influence Don Coriel was on him. And, you know, whether it was at San Diego State when Madden was hired as a defensive coordinator, Joe Gibbs, who was a, uh, a first a player and then a graduate assistant, ended up being a coach on Coriel's college team for a little while. You're looking at a coach that not necessarily because of wins and losses, but belongs in the Hall of Fame for this reason. You watch the NFL. I'm sure a lot of you watch the Super Bowl. You know, Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. 
prior to that, you think of the likes of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And you can just name all the different quarterbacks that have dominated the National Football League over the last couple decades. That doesn't happen without Don Coryell. And you may say, are you saying that Don Coryell is the grandfather or the father of the modern NFL offense? He absolutely is. If you follow the NFL and its history, really going up through the 60s and the 70s and prior to that, obviously, the 40s and the 50s, the, the league was a run-centric league. Um, you know, halfbacks and quarterbacks that could run a little bit. It wasn't really set on throwing a ball deep downfield. Any of the passes that were were set up were, were short passes, little uh, timing routes, slants and outs. And it really wasn't until Coriel became a prominent offensive coach that you didn't you started to see teams air the ball out and throw it deep downfield. Now Coriel had Jim Hart with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then of course had Hall of Famer Dan Fouts with the San Diego Chargers, which which helped. You needed quarterbacks that could be able to throw the freaking football. You know, if they if they can't do that, then you know you're essentially going to be stuck to dinking and dunking. But Coriel showed a uh, an, an ability to adjust with the times. He had a run centric St. Louis Cardinals team because of its uh, of its solid running game, and he didn't he, he didn't uh, force them to pass the ball. He he uh, you know he he allowed for them to succeed by running the football. And it certainly, it certainly ended up helping. I mean, with St. Louis, he ended up developing Dan Deardorff, who a lot of us remember as part of the Monday Night Football cast with Al Michaels and Frank Gifford. And, of course, uh, Jackie Smith, Robert Werrell, Werley, sorry, Roger Worley, the cornerback, end up becoming Hall of Famers. They played under Coriel in St. Louis. And then you just think of the, the great players, whether it was Fouts, whether it was Kellen Winslow, whether it was John Jefferson. Um, an unbelievable amount of talent. But if you look a handful of years later with the run-and-shoot Houston Oilers of the early 90s under, uh, you know, what's, what's the guy's name? I, I keep forgetting. Yeah, there was Buddy Ryan. Oh, Kevin Gilbride. Under Kevin Gilbride, you know that that doesn't happen if it isn't for Don Coryell, Andy Reid, and the offenses that he runs in the National Football League, as he led and was a, a big reason the Kansas City Chiefs won another Super Bowl. That doesn't happen without Don Coryell. Don Coryell changed the game of football, like Marvin Miller changed the game of baseball. Now, listen, it was for different reasons. You know, Marvin Miller helped baseball players get rights which is something completely different than changing the way the game of football is played. But uh, you, you could, if you, if you look at the way the game is played now, it's a lot more popular um, from a statistic standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint, from a betting standpoint. A, a lot of that may not be as possible if it isn't for the offenses being so pass-centric. Now, the NFL has helped out. The NFL has allowed for the rules to kind of favor the offenses. You know, a referee, an official could throw a flag at any time because, 
you know what? There is some sort of contact or holding between the offense and the defense. So the offense pretty much controls the game. That's why games are generally higher scoring. But it really doesn't happen if it isn't for Don Coriel. So that's point number one. Congratulations, Don Coriel. You'll see it. You know, you've seen it on my JohnPielli.com website. Um, he's the only the only football guy that I'm advocating to get into the Hall of Fame and have been for the last several years. And it's an exciting moment to say that somebody that I've really believed in and believed belonged in a particular Hall of Fame has actually gotten in there. So congratulations to Don Coriel and also congratulations to the National Football League for getting it right. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about today is you know, this is a time in the NBA where a lot of players change teams, and it's after the trading deadline. Um, the trading deadline, obviously, pretty busy this year. There was a lot of movement, but you're going to see a lot of players be bought out and end up signing with other teams. And my initial thoughts of this, this has been in, um, an evolving type of position and take that I've had, is initially I'm like, well, you're essentially telling players they could pick and choose where they want to go. You know, the Jay Crowders that are just, you know, aren't going to reveal why they're not happy and are just going to say, hey, I don't want to play basketball, are going to wait until they're traded. And for those players that aren't, they're just going to sit and not play until they're bought out of their contract so they could go sign and play wherever they want. So that was my initial take. But my take has evolved. And now I look at it from, let's say, a player like Kevin Love. I like Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love's been a... Very good player in the NBA, especially the last couple of years, coming back from his injury and really being a veteran mentor and leader on a Cleveland team that's on its way back. Now, if you're not in, the, if you haven't been paying attention, Kevin Love's fallen out of the rotation in Cleveland. He's not, he, you know, he's getting a lot of DNPs, coach, coach's decision, and it's it's causing. Uh, I don't know. You're talking about. A player that's getting up there in his mid to late thirties, yeah, you know, this is this is somebody that's played a long time in the NBA, and I think expects to get some PT, and it just hasn't happened to this point. And I think out of a sign of respect for Kevin Love, the Cleveland Cavaliers are working towards an agreement to buy him out, so he could potentially sign with the Miami Heat or another team that uh, may be looking for a player with Love's. Uh, qualifications and capabilities. Now, you know, you see that happen. You know, Danny Green, you know, in a similar situation was uh, bought out by, what was it, Houston that he was traded to? I think he was traded from Memphis to Houston. He was bought out by Houston and then signed with Cleveland. And, you know, Kevin Love's probably not going to get in the lineup. You know, he deserves, as a longtime NBA player, a little chance to get some PT. And he's not part of the rotation. So I'm looking at the buyout situation differently than I looked at it before. Um, initially, I was like, you know, you're essentially telling the, telling the players they can pick and choose wherever they want to play. But now, when it comes down to the players that teams don't want to play, and I was really, it, it really started to bring my attention to this last year when John Wall was essentially told that the Houston Rockets weren't going to play him. John Wall's like, hey, I'll, I'll play. Houston Rockets, hey, we want to play younger players. So John Wall sat out an entire season under contract, because his team did not want to play him. Now, in that situation, I think the team should, out of respect, buy the player out and allow them to play some, uh, somewhere else. You, know, you think of a basketball player, you think of any athlete that has a short duration of a career playing a professional sport, 
you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna last forever. So to throw out an entire season, let's say it was because of injury, that would be bad enough. If it was by choice, let's say a Le'Veon Bell a handful of years ago with the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's one thing. But that have it forced by your employer, forced by the team, the very team that you play for, they're the ones deciding not to play you. I thought that was garbage. I hated that decision by the Houston Rockets. And you know what? From a tanking standpoint, they ended up with one of the worst records in the NBA. There's, there's, no, there's no penalty for that. You literally were not putting out your best team. And at the very least, it looks like you were trying to lose. So that, that bothered me. But because of that, I started to evolve on this take of players getting bought out in the NBA. You know, there's teams that want players. And then there's teams that have players and they aren't part of the rotation. So for Kevin Love, it works out. For Danny Green, it works out. And there's a handful of other players that are going to get bought out. Hopefully, Russell Westbrook, if he's not going to play for the Jazz, you know he gets he gets bought out and he can go play. He can go play somewhere else. You know Reggie Jackson. Um, you know who's the guy? Uh, the shooter, Terrence Ross. You know, you're talking about players that weren't getting any PT. They weren't part of the rotation. They get bought out and they end up getting signed by teams that can use them. Um, as I've stated for years, the past ball show. One of the things that we've done here is we've tried to bring back history when it comes to professional sports and you know sports history is is such a a failure everything is set up to be about the now Um, analytics always point to the now nobody cares about the history and we're talking about saving sports history which is what the past ball show has been all about so in today's segment of this day in sports history do you know on on uh, February 16th, 1953, Ted Williams crash-landed a fighter jet while serving for the United States in Korea during the Korean War. Ted Williams, obviously one of the greatest baseball players of all time, perhaps the greatest hitter to ever live, was also a fighter pilot during World War II, but also defended his life for his country during Korea. 1967, Red Ruffing was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Three years later, in 1970, Joe Frazier KOs Jimmy Ellis in the fifth round to retain his heavyweight championship. On this day in 1972, Wilt Chamberlain scored, became the first player in NBA history to score 30,000 points. 20 years later, in 1992, Davey Allison joined his father, Bobby as winners of the Daytona 500. What was significant about this particular Daytona 500 was it was the final Daytona 500 run by legends Richard Petty and A.J. Foyt. On this day in 2005, not a good day for the National Hockey League as the entire 2004-2005 season was canceled by Commissioner Gary Bettman. And by the way, this guy is still the commissioner of this sport. Um, famous births in the world of sports on this day. Sliding Billy Hamilton was born on this day in 1866. Um, legendary uh, tennis player John McEnroe was born on this day in 1959. Mark Price, longtime Cleveland Cavaliers guard and excellent free throw shooter, was born on this day in 1964. 
and Pro Football Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis, the bus, was born on this day in 1972. Um, deaths on this day in a world of sports, longtime MLB pitcher Dazzy Vance passed away on this day in 1961 at the age of 69. Uh, Hall of Fame catcher uh, Gary Carter passed away on this day in 2012 at the age of 57. And former Toronto Blue Jays, amongst other teams, shortstop Tony Fernandez passed away on this day in 2020. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, obviously, the Past Ball Show can be found on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, any way you can find your podcast. We'll be back with you hopefully in a couple days with another edition of the Past Ball Show while we're working to save sports history. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Thirty-five years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.